0: Welcome to the City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforresthills.org. Uh, and so last week we got together, got no suit this week. I only wear suits on a few occasions and Easter Sunday is one of them. So no suit today, but we will gather uh, together every Week. And so as we gather together, it helps us grow in our faith. The actual gathering as the church helps us grow as we come and we hear. God's word. And so as we gather together, we focus on a lot of what we focused on last week. On Easter, we focus on the resurrection of Jesus, the hope we have in Christ, which is the gospel. It is our common hope in what Christ has done for us. It is our common confession. It's a confession um, that is made by people across the world, across the globe, various ethnicities, ages, cultures, uh, all looking to Jesus together and we gather together, focusing every single week on what Jesus has done for us. And so the question though is, why don't we ever move on to something else? Why why don't we, you know, when we gather together, why don't we just, you know, talk about life tips and like, you know, how to how to have a better marriage and, you know, how to get your finances in order and, and how to do all of those things. And the reason is, is because the gospel of Jesus changes everything. The gospel of Jesus and what he did for us as we look to him and reflect on who he is and what he has done speaks into every area of our lives, including relationships, including our money, including what we do with our lives. And so we look at what Jesus has done, the very simple yet profound work of Christ to change everything. It's kind of like the movie, Remember the Titans, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And someone asked Coach Boone, they said, why do you have such a small playbook? He says, look, he says, he I run six plays, split veer, which is a type of option offense. And he says, it's like Novocaine. Just give it time and it always works. The gospel is a little bit like that, that it is very, very simple. The cross is simple. Jesus Christ died for our sins to give us a new relationship with God. He rose again. It's simple, but yet it's profound, the depths and the complexity of the gospel, we will spend the rest of eternity trying to figure out exactly what the grace we've received means and the depths of who God is and what he has done for us. We will never exhaust. And so the Bible tells us to grow in this grace, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ to see our faith by God's grace grow into something that begins to impact every area of our life over time. And that's why Peter, who is an apostle, which is just really a fancy word for someone who was specially sent by Jesus to tell others about him, he was entrusted with this message. He's entrusted with this gospel, with this grace. And so he writes this letter so that they would believe, so that they would grow in their faith so in the New Testament, these writers would write letters in order to help individuals and churches learn how to follow Jesus. And at the end of the second letter that Peter writes, he gives an admonition. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He ends the letter this way, but in fact, he actually begins the letter this way too. He says at the beginning of the letter, grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's very clear that what Peter is doing is he's bookending that everything in the middle of this letter means is really for the means of you growing in God's grace. It's clear that he wants the hearers of this letter, both them, the original hearers of the letter and us to grow in our faith because healthy things grow. My wife was out of town for three weeks uh, a couple weeks ago, and and she loves several things. She loves her children, and she loves house plants. And, uh, and 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 the thing with house plants is if you don't water them, they don't grow. But you don't really notice they're not doing well until they start to turn a little yellow and maybe a little brown, and things are drooping. And I'm like, oh, got to go water the plants. And so Amy's like, hey, did you water the plants? I was like, I did it once in in three weeks. And you could tell that they were not growing because they were not given what they needed to thrive. We are not going to grow as followers of Jesus if we do not give our faith what it needs to grow. We are meant to have life with Jesus that is growing and deepening. Jesus promised that we would have life with him abundantly that began now and into eternity. And it's only going to grow if we invest in it. So what does growing your faith look like? First this morning, let's look at the definition of growth. We got to know what we're growing in. Here in 2 Peter 3.18, it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the question is, is how do you grow in something like grace? Grace seems like a weird thing to actually grow. Last week, we talked about how the gospel, what Jesus has done for us is about grace. It's a gift that is given to us freely it's it's unmerited favor it's something given that you don't deserve you didn't do anything to get it you simply receive it from god so how can you grow in a free gift does that mean that there's some sort of string attached to it how do you how do you grow in something like grace well growing in grace doesn't mean a couple things it doesn't mean that you get more saved It's not like if I grow in this grace, then now I'm more saved than I was last week. It doesn't mean that you're more accepted by God. It doesn't mean that you're more forgiven. It doesn't mean that you're more loved. It doesn't mean now that you're more valued as you grow in grace. But that can be how we tend to think of Christian growth. We tend to think of it as we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, that we don't do anything to get us into his good graces, but we kind of think that we need to do something to stay there. We kind of act like we're saved by grace, but our good works keep us in God's good graces. And you can do this in a lot of ways. You can do this through just outright wrong belief. If you, if you believe that you're not saved by faith alone, but you need to do some things to make you be right with God, you you would tend to think that your acceptance before God moves up and down based on what you do. If you have a wrong understanding of the cross, that you think the cross simply makes a way versus actually paying for your sins, if if you believe that that you can you could lose your salvation, if you believe these things, these are things that would cause you to think that you have to do something in order to increase the grace in order in, in the means of it, meaning you're more saved or or more loved. But we can also do this in really subtle ways too. You know, you can say all the right things. You can have all the right doctrine and theology. You can you can do all these things, but deep down, you really feel like you're more loved when you perform better. When you read your Bible every day, when, when you're nice to your neighbor, you're just more loved by God. When you don't lose your temper, I'm just more saved today than I was yesterday. When I follow all the rules, I feel more loved. But when you don't do these things, you don't feel as loved. See, all of us are looking to something in order to make us feel right. Something that we tend to add to the gospel, the work of Christ for us. And so it could be our job. When we feel like we do a really good job at work, we feel like, you know what? I'm just crushing it and I feel a little better about myself. It could be our family. It could be we've really put our hopes in being a good, a good parent or a good husband or wife or a good son or a good daughter. We can do this with, with theology. Man, maybe you've read Grudem Systematic Theology seven times this morning and you feel really good about it. Like we can, we can make ourselves feel better about that. It can be that you think you're smarter than others. It can be that you keep a really tight schedule and you don't understand why other people can't. Or maybe you're really flexible and you don't understand why other people can't be as gracious as you. Maybe it's through merciful acts or keeping rules, or maybe it's through having the right finances. There's something that all of us look to in order to make ourselves right. But the grace of God is this, is that you are no more loved when you fail than you are when you do well. Because Jesus it's all about what Jesus has done for you. See, salvation is not just a one-time decision and then you've got to kind of keep it together, but grace saves you. It is saving you and it will save you that through the work of Christ on the cross, when you trust him, you're made right with him. He promises to change you and he will keep you to the end all by his grace. Or as Tony Evans says, the same grace that saves you is the same grace that grows you. So what Christ did to save us is the same grace that God uses to grow us. So, so what does it mean to grow in that grace? So growing in grace is increasingly learning to recognize and enjoy the grace that we've received through Jesus, living out of the hope of what Christ has done. So the gospel of grace is like that injection. It's over time, it's meant to get to the whole body that we live more fully in light of what Christ has done. And so I want to give you some signs that you know you're growing in the grace of God. I'm borrowing these from J.C. Ryle, who is an incredible Anglican pastor. And the first thing he says is he says that you know you're growing in grace when you have an awareness of sin that's growing deeper that your awareness of your sin grows deeper. Now that may sound strange because I just said that our sins are paid for, right? Our sins are completely paid for, but they're not ignored. The penalty of our sin is paid, but the power of sin in our life that's causing us to do things that displease God and hurt others is being pushed back. And so growing in grace is remembering and resting in what Christ has done. And what happens is you start to become more sensitive to your sin. You start to become more sensitive to just how sinful you are. And the first thing is you see it where you didn't see it before. You see your sin when you didn't see it before. It's kind of like when you own a car. Before I owned a 2007 Honda Pilot, I never saw a 2007 Honda Pilot. Now I see them everywhere I see silver Honda Pilots all over Boston and I think everyone is copying me. They just like my car so much. The thing is, is it wasn't that they weren't there before. They've always been there. They, they had always been there, but now I'm just aware of it because I own it. It's the same with sin. Our sin has always been there, but when you become aware of it, you start to see it everywhere. We, we've become desensitized to, to our sin. And what happens is we get a growing awareness as we realize how our thoughts and our actions and our desires displease God and hurt other people. And it actually, it actually hurts more. We see how our, our actions hurt other people. We see how our sin offends a good and holy God and we begin to want to turn away from it. But here's what you also see as you see your sin. The more you see your sin, the more you see what Jesus has done for you. The more you see that those sins are also paid for by Christ. Every sin, not Jesus doesn't stop at like, you know, shortcoming number 9,748. He pays for all of them. And so the more sinful you see you are, the more gracious Jesus seems to you. Do you see how freeing that is? That Jesus promises that the more we see our sin, the more he'll deal with it? That our sins are really paid for, that there's, that means there's nothing to prove. There's, there's no level to live up to. There's no pretending to be better than you actually are. You are free to come to Jesus with every sin and every shortcoming, every weakness, and he will meet you with his grace. So it's an awareness of sin that grows, but also your trust in God grows stronger. As you grow, you increasingly trust God's promises for you. You really start to believe he's not going to stop loving you. You really start believing he's not going to leave you, that he's not going to turn away from you, that you really are safe with him. That he's faithful again and again and again. And when your trust in God grows stronger, you can breathe a little bit. Elliot Grudem, several years ago, sitting in a room of pastors, who we can we can tend to be tense people. We can tend to be, be racked with, with nervousness. And uh, he said, if you were to describe Jesus with one word, what would it be? Because everybody's like, holy, gracious, God. He said, I think it would be relaxed. And that floored me, he said, because Jesus had such unshakable trust in the promises of God that he was one with the Father in all things, that he could be relaxed. He trusted God's plan for him. Maybe today you're struggling to trust that God and his will is good for you. Maybe you're struggling to trust him right now. There is grace for you to trust him. Thirdly, our hope grows brighter. Our hope in God grows brighter. As faith grows, so does hope. Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Life isn't hopeless. No matter how bad things may get, we can always have hope because in Christ, our future is really bright. Fourthly, our love grows sweeter. It becomes less robotic. You know, when you first meet somebody and you first start talking to them, you start growing in your relationship. There's a lot of really awkward conversations, right? It's like, hey, what's your favorite color? Where did you grow up? Did you go to school? Why are you wearing a puffy coat? Do all your friends wear puffy coats? That's an elf shout out for anybody who likes that movie. It's really awkward at first, but as time grows goes on, the relationship becomes more natural. It grows sweeter. It's not just the words of saying, I love you, but love going forming into action. And so once we know how deeply we are loved by God, we can freely love him and others. And this is what Jesus does in allowing us even to love our enemies because we know how deeply we're loved. And as love grows sweeter, there becomes this ache in our soul to know and to love God, to know and to love and care for others. And it's a lot like what Jesus described in the book of Matthew, when he looked out at the crowd and he had compassion for them. This ache in his heart, as his love for them grew. Lastly, our thoughts grow toward God. As we grow in grace, our thoughts grow toward God the lord and they begin to shape us and they shape what we think about because what we think about most is what we love most the grace of god shapes everything in our lives it shapes how we use our time it shapes where we live it shapes what what we choose to do with our lives and how we can do ordinary things with intention and all this all these ways that you can grow in grace are yours in christ this is the free grace that we've been given and so it's a lot like it's a lot like. Imagine you're inheriting a mansion. anybody, anybody else down for that? I'm good for that. Uh, inherit a mansion, and you inherit a fortune with that mansion. And so when you first get that mansion, you receive it. It's a free gift. It's all yours. And the first thing you got to do is you got to open the door. You got to go inside the mansion. But you don't just like stay in the foyer, right? You don't just stand there and go. Oh, this is this is kind of a nice house. You go explore the entire house. You set up football games at the banquet hall. You do. You enjoy this house. Grace is a lot like that. It's all a gift, and you get to spend the rest of your life exploring every nook and every cranny, every passageway, every new room, every new dimension, and you will never exhaust it. And, and if you're not growing in your faith, it's almost as if you're choosing to stand right inside the front door. And that's why often we look around and go, is this really it? Is this really it in all that there is to knowing God, all that there is to having a relationship with Jesus? It's because we're failing to explore and use the grace that we've received. You have to know how to use the grace of God, how to rest in it. And this is where knowledge comes in, because the better you understand grace, the better that you know Jesus, the more that you grow in grace. The more that you grow, the more that you want to know, and the more that you know, the more you want to press into that grace. It becomes a cycle as you grow and as you know the Lord better, you grow and receive and rest in his grace. You see grace in every area of your life. That's not just to get you out of hell, but it is for the true enjoyment of God. And so, as we grow, it's important that we also know that we're growing toward something. What we're growing toward is the key. Secondly, is the direction of growth. The direction of growth. And so, back to those house plants that I almost killed. Uh, as house plants grow, they grow toward something. They grow toward light. And so if you put your houseplants next to a window, they begin to grow towards the window. In the same way as we grow towards grace, we grow towards Jesus. As we grow in our knowledge, it has a destination. And here it says, it's the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing in grace and knowledge is not just about growing in facts. It's not just in growing in head knowledge, it's actually growing in love and relationship real intimate knowledge of Jesus. I, I watch a lot of sports. I'm a huge sports fan. So I try, I try very hard not to give every illustration as a sports illustration. It's a real struggle. Um, and so I know a lot about sports. I know a lot about Tom Brady. I know where he was born. I know where he went to college. I know his stats. But there's a difference in how I know Tom Brady and I know Matt Waldron. Tom Brady and I aren't friends. Matt Waldrop and I are friends. I know a lot about Tom Brady. I know Matt Waldrop. It's the same with Jesus. You can know a lot about Jesus or you can know Jesus. We get, we get to know Jesus. It's a real friendship. And so that word hour there means that this is personal. And so growth in grace and knowledge means we're growing in relationship with Jesus with the promise that we get to be with him. And so God wants to grow us towards him because this is where real life, real satisfaction and real joy are found that are found that we get to call Jesus our friend, that he knows us by name. And so what does this relationship and growth look like? So he's our friend, but Jesus is also our Lord. He's our Lord. He's someone that we trust and we follow because our lives belong to him we grow and understand that what he asks of us is good and that he only calls us to follow him into what is best for us, even when it's hard. And over time, as we grow in grace, our desires change and we want to start obeying him. But sometimes it gets hard to follow God as Lord because as we follow him, sometimes our desires run counter to his will. Sometimes our longings are seem like they're at odds with his word But as we grow in grace and as we trust him in Lord, we begin to understand that your will is better than mine. And this is how you know that you're growing in grace towards Jesus as your Lord is when you begin to deny yourself. When you begin to say, I may want this, but I want you, Jesus, more. We also grow in our relationship with him as a savior. We see him as both the source and the destination of the grace that we've received that he is the giver of all good gifts. See, the direction of growth towards God himself also leads to his glory. Here it says, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity, amen. So we're growing in giving God glory. So what is, how do you give glory? It's kind of like, how do you grow in a gift? How do you give something glory? You recognize it. You see it for what it actually is. And so when you think about giving glory, it's kind of like if we were to go down to the Museum of Fine Art and we were to look at Monet's Water Lilies. When I say that that painting is beautiful, I don't make it beautiful. I recognize that it's beautiful. If Stephen Castello says that's a beautiful painting, that's not the definition of why it's beautiful. I'm just saying what it already is. When we give God glory, we are telling back to him what we know him to be. We are telling Jesus, we're we're recognizing his beauty. We're seeing his majesty. We're relishing his goodness and his kindness to us. We're recognizing it. We're appreciating it and we're worshiping him for it. And so the more you grow, the more you know Jesus and the more you see Jesus, the more you want to talk about Jesus now and forevermore. We're, We're all giving glory to something. We're all giving glory to someone who's getting the credit and recognition for being beautiful and good. And so is that person God or is that person ourselves? Or is that person another person that we look to to satisfy us? So as we close, I wanna get some practical steps for how we grow in grace. We call these the disciplines of growth. And so there are some private disciplines and then there are some, some more public or corporate disciplines. The first is, is reading the scriptures. Reading the Bible is the key to growing in grace. And I will say this. You will not grow if you do not commit to reading the word. You will not grow or you will grow very incrementally if you do not read the word because Things such as reading the Bible and prayer and gathering together for worship were called means of grace. They were not things that save you, but things that grow you. And so if you, I challenge you, if you're not reading the Bible, make a commitment to read the Bible. Don't make a massive commitment. Just say, I'm going to read the Bible today. And So if that's one verse, it's one verse. If it's 10 chapters, it's 10 chapters. But I'm telling you, it will help you grow. We have a Bible reading plan that we can connect you with. I'd love to talk with you about that. Secondly is prayer. And I do believe that as you pray, read the scriptures. And as you read the scriptures, pray. The scriptures give a root to our prayer. As you pray and you depend upon God, he will grow your faith. Lastly, for private uh, growth is preach the gospel to yourself. Preach grace to yourself. Remind yourself. It's almost like staring in the mirror and telling yourself the truth of God. Reminding yourself that, you know what? My sins are paid for. I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm known, I have a relationship with God through what Jesus has done for me. We have to tell ourselves this again and again. And then there are some public and some some corporate things. Gathering together for worship, even on a cold day, is so good for us. This is how God grows us, It's through coming together, sitting under his word, called, calling ourselves to worship, One day again, receiving communion and being sent back out, strengthened by God's grace. Getting into a community group, having life-giving relationships with other people to help point us to Christ. And finding a place to serve. As we serve, as we expend ourselves for God's glory, He builds us up. And so we'd love to get you connected to either a community group or or a serve team if you haven't yet. And we need both of these. These are like left hand and right hand. You need both personal t- time of growth and and private, or in, in, uh, in public growth. They work together. And so it's like redwood trees. Redwood trees are the tallest trees in the world. But the reason that they're so tall is not because their roots grow deep, but because their roots grow together. They'll interlock their roots and that creates greater strength. That's why we gather together. But also you're not just meant to rely on other people. If Sundays are kind of like a, like a family meal. So if you have a mom who makes incredible family meals and you can't just wait to go home, if she makes a Sunday dinner, you still got to make yourself something to eat on Tuesday. It might be a ham sandwich, but you've got to have it because you can't live on Sunday meal alone. No matter how good that Sunday meal might be, you have to have something to feed yourself or you're going to be weak. You're going to be anemic. Grace is a gift that's given to us to grow in and enjoy God. So what's the next step for you? How do you need to grow? How do you need to step in and pursue growth? For some of you, it might be picking up your Bible and reading. For some, it might be getting into some life-giving relationships. But for some, it could be going back to that mansion illustration. You need to open the door. You need to enter into and receive the free gift of grace given to you by Jesus through his work on the cross. And so it's not yours until you receive it. So I invite you to receive it today. Receive Jesus and the free gift that he gives us, that he lived and he died and he rose again so that we could experience his grace. Let's pray.